What's up, y'all? Good morning. Good to be with you. I love what Caitlin said about uh, trying to be easy to do business with. Um, you know, the longer I do this whole adulting thing, which is harder than, it's like a hard thing to do. The longer I do this walking with Jesus thing, the longer we get to do this church community thing, the more I'm just convinced that I just don't want to like play church. Amen. Like playing church, that's like the hardest thing to play. <laughs> but to really be the church, it's actually a lot easier than playing the church. Because you just get to be who you are. You get to have your past, your background. And then you still get to contribute. So Caitlin's right. If there are needs, we do our very, very best to meet those needs. And, um, and then when we are the person in need, you're allowed to be the person in need. You don't have to have it all together. That's what I mean by playing church is the worst. Since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about rhythms. It's kind of been our word. We've looked at Jesus' rhythms because Jesus lived a very deliberate life here on earth. He did things on purpose. They're really good. You can go back and listen to those if you miss some of those messages. But then we looked at after Jesus died, was rose again, walked the earth for 50 days, and before he went to heaven, he was around and, and, and being with his disciples and then he goes to heaven, but he says, don't stress. Uh, it's in the Greek, Hebrew, <laughs> don't stress. He says, but the promise that always has been is going to come to pass when the Holy Spirit comes. And you're not going to be alone. You're not going to have to pretend. You're not going to have to play Christian, but you will receive power in your life. And then he says, this is what he says to his people. The power that you receive, this is who you will be. He didn't say you'll be perfect. He didn't say you'll be smarter. He didn't even say you'll get better looking. <laughs> Dear God, come into my heart. Give me the Holy Spirit and make me handsome. <laughs> Amen. It didn't work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. But this is what he said. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. Meaning he didn't say you're going you're gonna to become cool. You're going to become holy. He says, you're going to be filled with the presence of God in your life. And you, as a person, are going to be used to be witnesses to the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, what Jesus can do in a person, basically. And then all the way at the end of the Bible, there's this verse in Revelation chapter 15, I think it says, at the end, by the way, the devil loses. Is anyone stoked about that? At the end, it says, and we have overcome by two things. The blood of the lamb, which means Jesus' sacrificial death for the sin of the world, and the power of your testimony. Meaning, you just being who you are, filled with the presence and power of God, that's sort of enough for God. So as we were looking at the early church rhythms, we saw that they lived deliberately too, and there were some things that they were known for. Now we're going to go into the last three weeks of this whole deal, and we're going to talk about 
us here at the bridge. So this is a mini-series. It's going to last for three weeks, and I've called it Our Time. There's a verse in the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 13, where it talks about King David. And King David, David and Goliath David, the raddest king uh, the nation of Israel ever had, it says this about him. You'll miss it if, you don't, if, you, if it doesn't kind of click in your brain. You're just reading, and it's talking about history. And it says, And David, when he had fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation, died. And his body saw corruption. means it started to rot. But then it says, But Jesus never saw corruption. It's just this half a verse. But it tells us so much, it sort of sums up who David was. It says, David, then he says, who was faithful to the purposes of God in his time? He did what he could do in his time. And then he died. Whenever you read the Old Testament, you read these sort of, they, seeming, they seem harsh, kind of. Joshua starts like this. Joshua, God calls Joshua. And this is what God says to Joshua, first thing. Moses, my servant, he's dead. And then he goes, now you, and then you read Joshua, and this is Joshua in his time, faithful to the purposes of God. Well, guess what? This is our time. That says that about David, but actually there's a, something that I think says it as good. One of my all-time favorite movies. Any 90s kids in here? Yeah, let's go Goonies. Because there's this scene in the movie because if you don't know Goonies, shame on you. And secondly, <laughs> we'll pray for you after church, right up here. Secondly, it's a story about kids who were family. It's kind of like my story. And they were going to get kicked out of their house because they couldn't afford it. And Troy's dad wanted to make it into a country club. The guy. So they go on an adventure to find One-Eyed Willie and his treasure, and there's this part in the movie where they're about to give up. They see a way out, because it was harder than they thought it was going to be. It was taking longer than, than they thought. And then they found Chester Copperpot's dead body. Can you believe it? <laughs> but then they come into this fountain, and they see that there's actually a way out. They can quit. And they're getting ready to go up out of the, out of the well, and then we get this famous line from Mikey. He goes, you guys, don't you understand that next time we, what does he say? Next time we wake up, it'll be in some other town. The next time we take a test, it'll be in some other school. He goes, our parents want the best for us. But they got to do the, what's best for them because it's their time up there. But down here, this is our time. It's our time down here, and it's all over once we write up Troy's bucket. I say that because me standing in front of you today, I know I'm supposed to be here. It took a long time for me to understand that I was supposed to be here. And to tell you the truth, I never really wanted it. I wanted other things for my life. I wanted to be a pro athlete, actually. And if that didn't work out, I was really going to 
put all my eggs into the, my backup career, which I thought I would be a, an actor one day. But there's something that God keeps saying to me over and over and over. And he was like, no, this is your time to be you. And I believe that's a word for the church. Because the church is often told we're not who we should be. And then I think our generation, we're told we're not who we once were. The church used to be. And then people talk about the past. And obviously, when we think about the past some great things happen and you get compared and then we always feel like we don't fit. That's kind of the story of my life. I never really felt like I fit growing up. So when talking about our time for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about why we do the things we do here at the bridge. But I can't tell you why we do the things we do as a church if I don't tell you a little bit about why I am the way that I am. So this morning, I want to share with you guys a little bit of my story. You know, I want the best for my kids. I want the best for your kids and for you. And I tell you what, the hardest thing as a parent is when your kids see that you actually don't have it all the way figured out. Because we want the best for them, so we want them to know that we know everything. That way, if they listen to us, they'll be just fine. But the, actually, what helps our kids grow the most is when we're vulnerable in front of them. And we just put ourselves out there. So that's what I'm going to do today. This morning is not for me to tell you how hard my life has been, but I'll tell you, my life's been hard at seasons. It's not to glorify a certain lifestyle, because I made some really bad decisions that ended me up in some really hard places that I had to walk through. I'm here to tell you what happens to a person when God's, when God's grace is at work in their life. I use the words... God plays the long game. And that's the way I look at people because that's the way God has always looked at me. The long game means you see a finished product in mind and you're willing to go through all the stuff you have to go through to get there because you're playing the long game. That's God's grace. That's why we do what we do. When I was a baby, when I was born, when I was a child, I was like you. I had no plan for my own life. None of us get to choose where we're born. None of us ever got to choose who our parents are. No one gets to choose what nation you're born in. No one gets to choose how much money you have. No one gets to choose what your parents did or didn't do. When you're born, you have no plan you're part of someone else's plan. My parents' circumstances, actually my parent, I was born to a young 20-year-old single mom. I never met my real dad. Uh, I looked for him back in like 20-something or other times, a weird thing these days with COVID and all, maybe 2000 and. Eight, nine, ten. I think it was right after we had Jonah because I was like, how could you have a kid and not like want them to like want to know them? Because I had this kid and that child, you know, having a kid, it just ruins you for the better. <laughs> At first. Then it ruins you for the worse later on. Am I right, parents? <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. But seriously. <laughs> so, but I never met him. But it's crazy. I saw a couple pictures of him. I look a lot alike. I look a lot like him. He's a handsome fella. But he was, he had his own plan for himself, and I wasn't in it. And neither was my mom, apparently. So I was born in Longview, Texas, East Texas, 1978. My mom, it was just me and her, and uh, she got married again to who, if, when I say my dad from this point on, this is who I'm talking about. I was adopted as a very young kid by my dad who lives in Texas right now, along with my sister and her family and a lot of my family is down there. But here's what I, when I look back as we do when we're adults, when we look back at our, at our childhood, when you're a kid you're just resilient trying to make it through, but when you look back you were just like, wow. You don't really have a say. You're just part of someone else's plan. My parents got divorced when I was in third grade, somewhere between second and third grade, and my mom took me and my sister, left my dad, moved to Aspen, Colorado, where the beer flows like wine. It's dumb and dumber. <laughs> my mom grew up in Colorado, but she left home when she was 17 because she was... She suffered physical, emotional, verbal abuse as a child because her dad was a, was a jerk. And now we're moving to Aspen back in with her parents. Imagine what that was like for a 20-something, 20 25, 30, we'll just say 30-year-old woman fresh off a divorce with two kids to move back to the one place she swears she would never go. But because she has to, she does. So now my story isn't just that. It becomes my grandparents. No dad. Mom left the other dad. Now we go and there's a grandpa. It was third grade where I first learned part of my own plan that I had for myself. Here's what I had planned. Don't get caught and don't make the men in your life mad. That was the first plan I kind of lived by. As long as I don't get caught, he can't get mad. If he doesn't get mad, he won't whoop me with his belt, and then life will be okay. Well, it was third grade. First time when I was in third grade is the first time I got caught cheating on a test. Those minute math tests that you used to have to do, how many problems you can do in a minute. And if you do good, you move on to division. Then you do division, then you move on. I couldn't get past the division one, so I just started filling them out before the timer went because I wanted to be good. I wasn't trying, I don't know. So I did it, and Miss Cochran saw it, Miss Cochran. <laughs> and so she caught me cheating on my test, and I had to get a three by five note card that I took home every day. And if I did good, everything was okay. If I did bad, that was a bad afternoon. So I started this pattern. Here was a rhythm of my life. Make people think you're doing good, because then it'll go better for you. So I learned how to lie really good at a really young age. That was a pattern that was real hard for me to break. About seventh grade, I was like, my mom and I were having issues. 
I felt like I needed a, a man in my life because I wanted, I wanted a dad to be around. So I was like, I'm going to move back to Texas. Well, I moved, back to, I moved down to Texas. My dad hadn't been around. I'd go down there for summers, but he didn't have the rhythms and the wherewithal to like raise a kid while he was working. And he had remarried and trying to figure it all out. So I just spent a lot of time riding my bike and smoking cigarettes and just being around, doing my own thing. I moved from Little Aspen, Colorado to this big kind of East Dallas school where as a white kid, I was definitely the minority there. And then as like a kid from the mountains that didn't know city life, it was even more different. So, but I had learned to lie, be somebody else and make people like me. So I just tried to like do those things and fit in where I could fit. But I was starting to learn what it is to be just like a lonely kid. Ninth grade, I did fall in with a group of kids that seemed to like me. Here's what we had in common. We smoked, we drank, and then that's when I first started smoking weed was my freshman year of high school. I think it was the summer before. So freshman year of high school, I discovered that not only could I have a plan of not getting caught and not letting people know, I could have a plan of this feels good and this is fun. So now my plan is have fun, feel good, and don't let people know what's really going on. Sounds like a great plan. Then you add a bunch of other lost kids and some drugs, and we, this was our life. Needless to say, I failed my freshman year of high school miserably because I skipped about most of the year. I'd go to school, buy some acid, do that with my friends, go skip class, get home, pull the, that you used to get mail back then, not email, but it's like you would open a mailbox and there's stuff in there. Well, every day there was a letter from the school because I, once I missed like 40 days in a row or something, they, we started getting notices. So I would go home, rifle through the mail, take the one from the school, burn it in the backyard so the evidence was gone because you can't let people know, put the other ones in, act like nothing was going on. And then one day I got called to the office and I showed up and my dad was there and I was like, oh, this is not, this is not good. And this is Texas. They'll spank you at school in Texas. Paddle. So I walked out and my dad's there, dude. He was so, well, I saw it in his eyes. He was mad. But he was also confused. He was like, wait, what? Because he didn't know that I built all this stuff up. My, like, he's my dad. He loves me. But he's like, uh, all he has is his story. You know what happened to him if he did something like that? It was different in his life than in mine. His dad would have beat the tar out of him. So he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't have any healthy rhythms as a parent. So we're trying to figure all this stuff out. So you know what I did? I was like, I'm out of here. I went back to Colorado. Because he was like, oh, you're going to summer school. You're this, you're that. And I was like, nah, I don't think so. I went back to Colorado to be with my mom. Wondering if any of my friends back in Colorado have started doing drugs too. Because it'd be a real bummer if I got back there and they were all like dorky mountain kids. And I'm like this city sophisticated kid now that knows about life and stuff at 14 years old. 
And I go back, but you know, it's a funny thing about problems. They're always waiting for you where you're going when you're the problem, when you have the problems within you. So I moved back, and it was like Aspen, and my friends in Aspen, it's like we were doing the same thing at the same time. And when I got back, everyone, it was ready. I was like, oh, everyone was doing the same stuff. Fast forward a year and a half, and I'm, or a couple years, and on my 16th birthday, I woke up, I looked around, I saw my cellmate, and then the door unlocked to my room, and then I got to go out into a common area with a bunch of other kids who act like they were all tough, but when I looked around, I was like, bro, these kids are scared. They may have been in a gang, and they may have been like cool and have tattoos and all that stuff, but I could see it, because I was. And I was like, I didn't know what their story was. But I know that a lot of our story had been made for us. And I remember in that place being like, is this what my life is going to be? One thing to another where I'm running away, trying to figure it out on my own. Is this what my life is going to be? Well, I ended up getting out of jail, going through the court system. I had to go to like rehab, do some stuff. But I couldn't stay clean. But I got really good at passing drug tests. Because I, here was my code. Do what's fun, do what feels good, and don't get caught. Because I look back and I'm like, what is wrong with you, dude? Why didn't you just change? When you've been living by a certain pattern for so long, it becomes just what you do. So next time you're talking to someone who battles with drug and alcohol and be like, listen, idiot, why don't you just change? The problem is they're like, I don't know. Because it's just what you do. It's not that you don't want to. You don't like not feeling good. You don't like everyone looking at you and being like, you're bad. That was my next thing. That's why I let people know I smiled, let everyone, was funny, quick-witted, because I just felt like I was a bad person. And when people looked at me, I was the kid. Kids would come home smelling like smoke, and their parents would be like, where have you been? And they would go, I, this became me. I was with JJ. And the parents would be like, oh, yeah, makes sense. Be careful, that kid. But there's something about him. I just like him. <laughs> Went back to Aspen High School. I ended up getting kicked out. They said I was a bad influence, and they didn't want that type of kid in the school. So I, I got shipped down the road about 25 miles to where I ended up graduating high school. Something happened there. I was at a party, and I saw this girl. I thought she was cute. Obviously, she thought I was cute because she ended up becoming my girlfriend. Not Stephanie. Her name was Lindsay. I didn't know it, but Lindsay was a Christian. The first part of her life, her not part of my story life, when she was born into someone else's plan, they spoke God's word over her. They prayed over her. They prayed for her a lot, that she would make good choices, that she would know that God loves her, that she has a place in this world, that she's valuable. But in high school, like kids often do, she decided that she wants to go figure out if her parents' faith is her faith. And so she kind of walked away. 
which is why I met her at a party that I was hosting. And so this girl shows up. I knew that she was like good, you know, a good girl. She wasn't like some of the typical people that I saw around. But she, we met. We started hanging out. We ended up becoming boyfriend, girlfriend. My first like relationship. And it was crazy because there was someone, as long as I felt like I gave a certain part of me, they liked me. But I wasn't totally honest about who I am and my life story. But I'll tell you what really changed. What really changed is when I met her parents. I had all sorts of earrings and my eyebrows pierced. I looked cool. I mean, I won't. <laughs> There's no way around that part. I was wearing a 7-Eleven t-shirt. You guys remember 7-Eleven? We have one here. They used to have those sweet red zip-up shirts with the green pocket. Yeah, I had one of those. But parents didn't really want me around. But something happened because Lindsay's parents said, hey, JJ, why don't you come over for dinner? And I was kind of like, oh, man. Here's what I knew about them. I ski raced when I was younger with one of their sons. They had two sons, daughter. And then people said, oh, her parents are real religious, man. You be careful. They're crazy. <laughs> so I was like, OK, note to self. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything inappropriate. I have to really think about that before I go into a situation. Get their daughter home on time. If I did these things, probably it'll work out well for me. And I remember hanging out, but something started happening. It was the first time that someone didn't like me for what I could do, the jokes I could tell, the drugs I could provide. They just sort of liked me for me. So much so I thought it was a con. I was like, whoa, be careful. These people are dangerous. <laughs> they don't want anything for themselves. They obviously cared a ton for their daughter. But then her dad did this thing that I still look back on. He goes, hey, JJ, why don't you come to church with us on Sunday? And I was like, first of all, I was 16 at this point. No one had ever invited me to church in my whole life. Never once. I grew up in Texas and Colorado. <coughs> why don't you come to church with us on Sunday? And I was like, oh, man. If I go to church with them and it gets them off of my back for dating their daughter, and this and that, fine, I'll go. So I go to church, and I sit down in this place, and I didn't look like anybody in the room. I didn't know it at the time, but this would have been like a very conservative, like homie was in a suit. His name was Steven, not Steve. I'm like, hey, Steve, what's up? He's all, Steven. I'm like, roger that. I sat in the back, but they pulled me right in, and they weren't like, oh, this dude, go be by yourself. They brought me right in, and we sang like some contemporary songs and then some old school songs. It was actually pretty cool. One week, we get home after that first Sunday, 
we go back. They were like, hey, come over for lunch. So I'm like, all right. So I go over. Drake's like, hey, JJ, let me talk to you for a second. I'm like, okay. So we go in the living room. He sits me down. He pulls out his Bible. It's a hard, hard cover, so you know he's serious. And it's got duct tape on the binding and like all these underlined things. And, and we sit down, and he puts his Bible on his lap, and he goes, got any questions? I'm all, nope. <laughs> she come to church with us next week. It's this new pattern in my life. I started going to church every week. I actually liked it because it was like this place, it was different than anything I had done before. People were singing. I was like, dude, this is weird, kind of. <laughs> but I was reading the words that they were singing. I was like, there's no way they believe this stuff, right? Maybe they do believe this stuff. And then this guy who got up, who looked to me like a principal, I'm like, oh, man, this is like when you get in trouble. And he would open up this book. But he tended to do something week after week after week after week. Because I was a smart kid. I didn't know it until years later, but it was the gift of discernment that God had given me to be able to tell if people were bull corn in me or not. Because my dad used to have a saying, you don't bull corn a bull corner. That's a Texas saying. <laughs> like, you can't pull that one over on me, son. But this dude, he would open his Bible, and then he would say stuff that I was like, yo, those words are weighty. Those words are heavier than just any man's words. Typically, this is not the type of guy I would give the time of day to to speak into my life. I'd be like, you're... Because <coughs> the other pattern in my life was, if you treated me good, we could be down. You treated me bad, you're dead. I would live my life because I had to protect myself because I already had bad self-image. And if you didn't like me, you're dead to me. So if you thought different than me, if you had a different value system, if you thought that I was bad, I would give you a tongue lashing so quick, it was like all the pain that was inside of me would come out in hurtful words to someone else. So when you see someone who just lashes people with their tongue, let me tell you something, that person's hurting. And if you find yourself lashing people with your tongue, let me tell you something, you're hurting on the inside. So that's what I would do. But this guy was like speaking and these words were coming in and he was saying stuff like, God sees you. God knows you. You're not beyond repair. I don't even know if he said those words. That's what I was hearing though. You know why? Because when I'm up here talking and teaching you guys, I work real hard on it. But let me tell you something. If stuff is speaking to your insides where you're like, oh, that's God. I know it because it's happened to me. And I was there and all this stuff. And I remember sitting and being like, dude, I don't know anything. But the Bible, crazy. I was, that's why I always go. David and Goliath. And I'm like, if you don't know, David, he was a king. Because they would say, there was all this inside jargon. You know, they say stuff, hallelujah. What does that mean? Bless you. How you doing? Sister, all praise the Lord. What? Is that good? I don't even know. 
So I always try, I was just like, look, I'm, I remember me, 17 years old, 16 years old, sitting there. Actually, I was back over there mainly in this church. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But there was something. I was like, God was drawing me. Then I remember one night, I was sitting on my bed. I took a bong hit like I did every night before I went to bed. I lit a cigarette and I set it next to me and I said this, I think it was a prayer. I said, all right, God, if you're there, why didn't anybody tell me? And if you're good, why do you seem bad? And if you're real, freaking prove it. Because this guy sounded cool. My life wasn't that cool up until this point. And God did something in that moment that he's done several times over my life that I've always been like, I don't know if I should talk about this. Because it's sort of bizarre. But I remember coming to, must have been about 20 minutes, like right after I said that, and then all of a sudden I kind of was like, and I looked around, and I was alone in my room, and I looked over. My cigarette had burned all the way down to the butt, put itself out, and the butt had fallen out of the ashtray. And I was sitting there, and I was like, whoa. But you know what? I knew in that moment what it meant. It's like I spent this unspecified amount of time, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, I don't know. And I came to, and this is what, the first thought that came to my mind. That's what it looks like to be alone forever. There was nothing, it was, I was just like, whoa. I was just alone, there was nothing. And I was like, God, if you're real, I need you to show me. That was my prayer. And you know, Jesus is cool with prayers like that. Because over the next few months, there was just, I just couldn't deny it. I was like, I think I'm going to become a freaking Christian. <laughs> I started smoking, I didn't stop. It took me a long time to quit that habit. But all of a sudden, I was living with guilt all the time. I'd never felt guilty before. I'd rob from you and go get what I wanted to, to suit my habit. And I was fine with it because you probably deserved it. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'll, I was smoking weed and I was like, I think this is wrong. What is wrong? And I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? And the other part of me is like, I don't know what's wrong with me. There's this me. Bro, you need to get it together. And there's me just like, dude, shut up. And then I started being like, man, I can't hang with these people. This is putting me in a place. There was this inner turmoil and conflict going on. And all the while, I'm like, this isn't part of my plan. But let me tell you guys something. All the while, I had my plan. God was working a plan. The Bible says, before you were born, God knew you. Because God put you together. He gave you your gifts. He knows your weaknesses. And you can put yourself in the gutter. And the verse, God works all things together for good, is still true. The verse 
God takes what the devil means for evil in your life and works it for good. That's still true. I remember sitting on my bed, inviting the Lord to be like, all right, if you're, I'll, I'll do this thing. My life changed forever. And let me tell you, it didn't get better. It got worse. <laughs> my family, I had moved out of my mom's house when I was like 16 when I was going through all that court, jail stuff. She distanced me because she had her own issues. And you know how it is when someone's blowing it and they're blowing your cover, you're like, yeah. <laughs> so I was on my own couch surfing. Another single mom took me in to her family, my best friend. He died out running the cops on his motorcycle a few years later. His name was JJ, actually. He was little J, I was big J. We rolled together for a long time. But his mom, Sabrina, took me in, and I was living with them when I gave my life to Jesus. JJ didn't. He was like, dude, what the hell happened to you? He's like, you're weird now. They started playing me Tupac songs, like the one that's like, I ain't mad at you. Got nothing but love for you. Do your thing, homie. And it's this one that just talks about, oh, you're a religious now. Well, we know you before you that. And that's who you really are to us. And they started being like, you do what you want to do. But they kind of kicked, they were my family. I lost all of them. But I started to see that I didn't have to live according to my plan. Because every time I took a step closer to God, with the guidance of this family that looked nothing like me, that didn't need to invest in me for any reason, I started to see, yo, I could maybe have a new plan. And let me tell you what this plan included. It included not fun, not feel good, but a future. And it was Judy who said to me, hey, you ever thought about going to college? And I'm all, <laughs> nope. She's <laughs> like, what do you think you're going to do with the rest of your life? I'm like, I don't know. Get a job. Monday through Friday, drink on the weekend, ski as much as I can. I don't know. That was kind of what people did where I lived. She was like, you know, I know this guy down at this college in Denver. You, wanna, you should go down there and check it out. I'm like, she's like, I'll take you. I'm like, okay. So we go down, meet the campus pastor, Gus. We have a meeting, look at the campus. We're on our way back up to Asp Asp Basalt, three hours away. Judy's like, what do you think? What do you think about this school? I'm like, this place is rad. I could go here? She's like, yeah. I'm like, how much is it? She's like, I don't know. It's like 30000 a year. I'm all, <laughs> it might as well be a bazillion dollars a year. <laughs> and she goes, no, we just need to pray. <laughs> and I remember, I'm just like, okay, young in my faith. And then we, she closed the minivan door, and this woman prayed. I'm like, oh, snap, she is for real. I didn't know you could pray like that. I was like, you be careful. This woman's going to call down thunder from heaven. <laughs> but she said, God, if this is your will, you need to open the doors, and you need to provide every single cent for JJ to go to this school. Long story short, I got it all. You know what's crazy? I get to college, and I still didn't like school. But I met Stephanie. 
and she's got two degrees, one for both of us. <laughs> Went to a Christian college because in my new rhythms, God was speaking to me in here. And I didn't know this like I wanted to. Because that guy who was preaching those words, if we were just having a conversation, I'd be like, this dude's a dork. But when he was, this is my judgmentalness and my rough edges, just being open with you. But when he opened the Bible, I was like, whoa, that, that's what's changing me. It was in the pages of scripture that I met God. It was in the pages of scripture that I learned that David, God told him he was going to be king when he was 12, and then he ran for his life for 25 years before he ever sat on the throne. You know what that told me? God told him he was going to be this before he even knew it. He didn't even believe it, and then his life got worse before it got better, but God was doing something the whole time. I could relate to that. I started reading the book of Acts where it says these are uneducated, untrained men, yet they know Jesus. I could relate to that. There were people that were known for a certain lifestyle and they would be paraded around town and then Jesus met with them and he transformed them and then sent them to lead others. Oh, no, no, no. You went through all of that. They said this about you. Here's what I say about you. You're not a follower. You're a leader. You go tell them. That was in the Bible. It was in the pages of the Bible that I feel God called me to what I was going to be. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. It was in the pages of the Bible that I came across these words. Preach the word. God, what do I do with my life? I don't know. I like being outside. I like trades. I'm a tradesman. Even when I stand up here, I'm using a gift that God has given me to provide a service to help others. Shepherds are tradesmen. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Sometimes you're going to have to convince people. Sometimes you'll have to rebuke people and just be like, I disagree. Sometimes you'll have to exhort people, encourage them. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. With all long suffering, be patient. Because people are going to heap up for themselves leaders that say stuff they like to hear. But you, the Bible says, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 5 maybe. I was like, okay, I'm supposed to do this. How do you do that? So I go to college. They're like, hey, welcome to Colorado Christian University. What do you uh, want to major in? I'm like, the, the Bible? <laughs> and they're like, oh, Okay. Well, that's not really college. That's more like seminary. And I was like, well, what's seminary? And that's like, that's what you do after you do four years of college. I'm all, you got to be crazy. <laughs> I was like, well, is there anything that teaches me how to teach the Bible? And they're like, well, there's a youth ministry major. I'm like, I'll do that. So I got A's in my youth ministry classes, and I failed the rest of them because I was like, I don't want to take Spanish. I don't want to take computers. Some habits are hard to break. I lasted in school a year, but something that happened as I would, had grown apart from my high school girlfriend, I'll, I'll always be so much love to that family. 
If you lined up the, the list of people that had me for a season in their life and invested good things in me and left me better, that you couldn't fit them all in this room. But I went snowboarding with a homie one day and I opened up his truck and there was this girl sitting in the truck. And now she's my wife. We got two kids in here and she's in the back serving all your kids. But then God brought this other person to my life that didn't like me for what I could be. She's the first person that I felt like ever really just liked me. What a powerful thing when someone just likes you. Warts and all. You can just be you. I moved to Breckenridge an hour and a half out of Denver up into the mountains because I had kind of been like, school's not my thing. I really want to pursue snowboarding as a living. I was getting, I was actually, I was pretty good. I'd started having some healthy rhythms in my life, getting outside. So I moved up there. We were in Breckenridge for 10 years, and it was in Breckenridge that my pastor in Denver, he was a high school pastor, the high school youth group of this church I was at. He moved up to Breck and he planted a church. God brought church planting to me. I didn't have to go do it. I didn't have to take classes about it. God wanted me to do this so much that he brought church planning to me. And Jimmy and Sabrina, this amazing couple that were like family to me and Stephanie, they planted this church, and I got to see what real pastoring was like. And let me tell you, when I watched it, I was like, I do not want that. <laughs> there was a lot of tears involved in that family's life. But you know what they were? They were real. They didn't play church. It wasn't until later that I learned that you could actually play church. I didn't know that you could do all the stuff and say all the stuff, but still be not genuine. I didn't know that you could use the Bible to break people down instead of build them up. It's amazing the stuff that you learn at church. It was at a church that I was told, you should not be a pastor. It was at another church that I was told, actually in the living room, Jimmy and Sabrina, where she told me two things. Sabrina, first of all, she's like, what is your problem with Stephanie? What are you talking about? He's like, she's like, dude, you're going to blow it. I'm like, she's too good for me. She's like, I know. And she likes you. You need to lock that in before somebody else comes up and takes her away. And that's when I was kind of like, all right. Started putting the moves on Steph. She wasn't convinced right away, but it worked. And Sabrina also said to me, she goes, you know you're a pastor, right? I was like, I don't want to be a pastor. I want to be a pro athlete. I pursued that for a while until I was like, this is... I was never, I was, I was always outside of the, the cool club. You know, the people that are like, they just, they're, they're there and you're like always almost in, but you're not quite in. Maybe you feel that way in school or at work, like there's this cool circle and you're just not in. It was like that with snowboarding. All the while I'm like, oh, this is what humility is. After we had Jonah, 
I remember looking at him and I was thinking, how could you, number one, I'm like, how can you not believe in God? This is me. I'm like, this kid, I mean, babies are weird looking when they're born, but they're still a miracle. And I remember when Jonah was born, he actually had like a really bad club feet when he was born. And so I remember seeing this thing that was so perfect, yet came out and he was, he was sort of broken. And this young nurse, God bless her, if I wasn't so sleep deprived, I would have been mad at her. But he came out and the first thing I heard was, what's wrong with his feet? And I was like, what are you talking about? Anyways, he had club feet. We had to go through some stuff and I was able to see God lead the right person after right person to our family that was able to help him, help me, help Steph. And I was just like, this is the plan. Ready? This is what it is to be a Christian. It's to trade your plan for God's plan. Sometimes it takes years and years and years to see or believe that God actually has a plan for you, especially when you feel like you're not worthy of a plan. And you can be a good person and go to church your whole life and still feel like you're not worthy of a good plan. But God brought a person along. It was sort of like when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about money, cars. They didn't have cars back then. Don't worry about status. Don't worry about fame. Don't worry about your education or lack thereof. Don't worry about, it says, for these are things that the world seeks after. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you know what that's saying? That's the way of saying when you wake up, you say something like this. God, I don't know what your plan is, but I believe it's good. Here's your paycheck. God, this isn't much. How do I honor you with what I just worked hard for? It's seeking first. It's saying, God, your plan is the one that I believe. And then here you are, married 20 years, Kids, and then this. I didn't plant this church, but I know for sure I'm supposed to pastor this church. The only reason I know it is because I tried not to, and God said, no, I want you to. And it's been really hard. So do you, if you ever wonder why we are willing to take a chance on someone, because God took a chance on me. Willing to see the potential in someone, even in their worst, because God did that for me. And you know who he used? People. People at a church. So that's part of our story. Next week, we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts on why we do the things that we do, but I just got to let you guys know Sometimes the most uncomfortable I still feel is in a room full of pastors. Mm -hmm. 
because deep down inside of me, God is still working something out in my heart that I'm not bad. I'm good. But the stuff that gets carved when you're young, it stays there when you're old. So we learn rhythms. We learn to listen to God's voice instead of another person's voice. We learn to be, it's called discipled, but that means taught by Jesus and by other people. Do you want to know why I'm not a heavy-handed leader? Because I can't fix you. I can't even fix me. Do you know what we do? We trust you to Jesus and believe that if you want God to do something, he will. I believe it. And I also believe that you can go to church for a hundred years and still be a mean person and still be judgmental of others and still say things in the world and put on social media that I just am like, what are these people saying? Because that is not God's heart. So we're not going to do that because the people that God uses that really changes other people are ones that are just saying, I'm, a, I'm a, in process myself. Bless you. So that's me. I can't fix you. I can't fix me. That's what I say. I can't do it for you, but I'll do it with you. That's what people did with me. They just brought me in. So when we say stuff at churches like, we'll take you for how you are, we just won't leave you there. Or, I'll say it like this. God is only asking you to come to him exactly how you are. Don't present a version of yourself that you think he wants. That's playing church. That's a joke. It's a joke for you more than it is for anyone else. He just says, come to me as you are. And let me tell you something. He'll never reject you if it's how you are. Wholehearted. God, this is me. Here's how much I understand, how much I don't understand. But here I am. But he'll take you where you're at. This is God's sovereignty. And he'll get you where you need to be. But all the while, you just take a step after step after step. I'm still doing that. I'm going to do that for the rest of my days. You know why? Because I want my sons, and I want you, and I'll end with this. I want them to know my dad doesn't have it all together, but he really trusts God with his life. He, like, really asks him to help. He reads his Bible in the morning. He teaches it. There's even parts of the Bible that I have, like, a hard time understanding. I'm like, Lord, help me understand this. But that's... Faith is willing to take something that I don't fully grasp and say, but God, you know all things. You are good and just and forgiving and righteous and holy. You got it all figured out. Help me where I'm at. That's what I want for them. That's what I want for you. And I believe that if people saw who Jesus really is, not the version of him maybe they've been given that they, would, that they would trust him with them as well. So that's our story so far. That's me in a nutshell. 
And that's maybe helps understand why we do some of the things that we do. So I tell you what, let's stand together. Let me close this in prayer. And um, let's end with a song. Father, thank you for today. I know I didn't pray before I started speaking. But I know that you're with us. Lord, today is sort of tough for me because this is about you. This isn't about me. This isn't about any single person here. But you're so good that you say, no, I just want you to tell people what I've done in your life. So thank you, Lord. I thank you for me personally in front of all these people. Some I know, some I don't. But I just thank you for your love towards me, that even when I didn't see it in myself, you saw something worth grabbing a hold of. Something that kind of part of the world had cast away and you said, no, I'll keep that one. And the more I've gotten to know you and know other people, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's God's heart for every person. So we just thank you, Lord, for your love. And I pray for anyone here that is like, I don't know about God or I don't know about this. I don't know if I believe. Here's my prayer, Lord, for them. My prayer is that regardless of they believe in you, it could start by them knowing that you believe in them. Because you created us, you love people. And you're asking that we would know that you have a plan that's better than our plan. So Lord, right here in front of all these people, I trust you again. I take a step of faith. I sing the song in response to you. And I'm stoked for every person that's going to join me and sing in your praise because you're good. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.